All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 35th year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from this past week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 271 points, or seven-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 56 points, or 1.2%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 338 points, or 2.3%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up one-half of 1%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 1.5%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 2%. Thank you, Jeff. We also closed on Friday, I believe, at all-time highs for both the Dow and the S&P 500. The Dow had reached an all-time high Sometime. uh, a, few weeks, a, few, a few weeks ago. The S&P finally reached... A new all-time high um, here this week, which it's like two years, almost two years exactly. Almost 750 uh, total days. 750 total days since the last time we had an all-time high on the S&P. And the question I would ask all of of you guys, um, Given the economic news that we've had in the in, in this week just passed, and we'll forget about the housing stats because one of the housing stats on on Friday, existing home sales hit the lowest level in 28 years. I heard that last year. Yep, since '95. Wow, lowest 1995. 95. The, the third year I was with Davidson Capital. I just finished grad school in 1994. That that that's going way uh, back in the time machine. Yeah. Well, and and, and uh-huh. I had a, you know it's interesting because I had a lengthy conversation with a longtime client of ours that lives outside of the Houston area, and she was asking me, "Hey, is this a good time to possibly be looking to purchase a new house?" And so I said, "You know, honestly, with and and, and on top of is this a good time?" She was also just curious as to, you know, why home prices have been so elevated. 
and kind of the background. And as we've been talking on this program for, you know, more than a year plus, you know, with all the higher interest rates that we're seeing from the Federal Reserve, when you've got higher interest rates, you're not having people wanting to put their home up for sale to trade a lower interest rate mortgage for a higher interest rate mortgage. So that squeezes the supply of existing homes. Then you have builders who had issues with underbuilding due to the higher cost of capital, also having the uh, staffing problems with construction workers and semi-skilled and skilled laborers, and their cost of capital being a lot more expensive, so they're wanting to keep their powder dry. So when you have such a tight supply and higher interest rates, this is going to cause the homes that are currently available, the sellers are going to be asking a lot more for them. So I told her, just to be patient. You know, allow interest rates to finally start working their way down, bringing mortgage rates down, and as that occurs, we'll start to see more supply. Hopefully, we'll start to see builders really start ramping up more construction. But this right now is not exactly the best time to be going out and looking for a new home. Well, there's no inventory, so there's, there's I very guess little inventory. The, That's yeah. what we were talking about. New yeah, home, as I was saying. Yeah. You know, inventory is very thin, whether it's new construction or existing. So I was, you know, asking myself, so the Friday was a big day. Uh, basically, the entire year so far has been based on what what happened in the markets on Friday. Uh, what, you know, the big news on, on on Friday was this, this I guess, this consumer sentiment measurement uh, that had shot up substantially from the last measurement, and some some of the pundits were pinning uh, the big change upwards in how well the stock market did, especially in you know the fourth quarter, you know, spe- you know December more specifically. That I guess that's making making people feel more wealthy because their four hundred one ks went up so much in value, their other investment accounts went up so much in value. Uh, and that propelled that 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 number higher. The other thing that's been going higher is interest mm-hmm. rates. Uh, we've got you know, the ten-year Treasury is uh, the yield now is I think you have to go back more than a month. The last time yields were at this level, and the markets haven't really reacted to to those increasing yields in a negative way. Uh, there's still all this talk out there of some these outrageous. In my opinion, I think you all agree, uh, expectations for multiple interest rate cuts by the Federal Reserve occurring in 2024. And I think there was some Fed governor, I think, came out earlier in the week, and, and he said he didn't think there would be an interest rate cut until the third quarter of this year. And that's not the consent that's definitely wasn't the consensus view a month ago when when really all this momentum got started uh, of the Fed quote unquote pivot. But I keep seeing these you know these strong economic numbers. You know, retail sales this week six up six tenths of a percent. Industrial production was up. Uh, you know, the the negatives seem to be concentrated in the housing arena, but it's not uh, it, it's not from a uh, the point of view of a weak know, economy. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's exactly right. In homes, 
you know, there's not a weak economy. There's, you know, there's not weak, weak, uh, uh, there's not high unemployment. It's, 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 it's interest rate. Uh, these, these, these statistics are being, these statistics are being, uh, uh, skewed by yeah. interest rates, as you said, Kyle, and people just not wanting to move and give up their cheap mortgage rate for a more expensive one and, and feel like they're mm-hmm. paying up, uh, to buy another home. Uh, so it's it's interesting to see the market at, for the moment not reacting negatively to higher yields on, on bonds. I know we're running up here on the break, and so we can think about this coming back. How long do we all think that's going to continue if interest rates continue marching up a little bit higher? If we continue to see stronger economic okay. news, okay. Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing the, to recap the happenings of Wall Street from this past week as we were talking in the last segment, S&P 500. Finally broke through to reach an all-time high. Took uh, just under 750 days for the S&P 500 to do that. And before we went to break, talking about uh, different Fed governors speak this past week. And I know, Jeff, I can't remember which Fed governor was talking about the first interest rate cut might not be until the third quarter of 2024. Now, I just want to remind all of our listeners, you know, the money-wise guys, we'd been predicting, you know, mid to late summer before we would see the first interest rate cut. And it looks like based on some of the the Fed governor speak that, you know, we could be pretty close to the bullseye on that. But as we've seen the first few weeks of 2024, as we've been getting this economic data and it being as strong as it is, and Jeff, you were talking about consumer sentiment beating expectations by eight-tenths of a percent, almost one full entire percentage point of beat on the consumer sentiment, we just keep getting very strong positive economic data, which is causing, particularly on the fixed income side, some of these bond managers or bond buyers to start selling their positions, driving interest rates up. Now, there has been, uh, from day to day, some cause and effect as interest rates go up. Some of the higher price earning multiple stocks, some of the growthy tech names, have their kind of day in the basket, so to speak, where they kind of get taken out a little bit. But I think what the market has been going through the first few weeks of the new year is some now some repricing in anticipation for one, not having six to seven interest rate cuts. What I think all I speak for all three of us, we never expected six to seven interest rate cuts at the beginning of this year. That would because I believe they, there was 11 yep. interest rate increases. And so the expectations that we were going to give back half of those or a little more than half of those, 
yeah. in the same they just year? Did, yeah. Uh, uh, based on what? Based, I mean, the market would, uh, the, the economy would have to have some sort of really, That's really right. serious problem to have to have that many because that would take uh at least eight months or so to have that many which means they would also have to get started very early they would have to get started early and i just don't see a cut coming in march i don't see a cut coming in april which i just don't see it not not with this economic data not with these economic, not with this economic, exactly. Not with this unemployment data. Not it's with these sentiment retail data. sales data. What data? What data is so negative that would necessitate uh, a Federal Reserve cutting interest rates? What they want to reduce mortgage rates? So Fed Fed doesn't have any control over that. All the Fed can, all the Fed Overnights. has any control over is the shortest, the shorter term interest rates, uh, and mortgage rates are determined. Uh, basically, what, what whatever the ten-year Treasury is doing is is, mm-hmm. is how mortgage rates, by and large, are determined. So we don't. You're talking about uh, one of the one of the themes for this year was that uh, the market participation. Is that you know I, I've we were just finishing up our market comments for the uh, fourth quarter of 2023. And I know it's not going to be surprised to anybody the disparity between the haves and the have-nots when it comes to performance. Uh, the the magnificent seven as a group increased seventy five percent last year. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Nvidia, Alphabet, Tesla, and Meta. So as a group, those stocks are up seventy five percent. Up 75% last year. The other 493 stocks in the S&P 500 woefully underperformed that well, performance. Well, and get this, Jeff. Okay. As a group. Now. All right, go ahead. But here, go ahead, let me finish my point. My point is, is that we were expecting expecting a broadening out of performance. Now, granted, ladies and gentlemen, we've only had, what, two full weeks of trading? Two and a half. And maybe a half, two and a half full weeks of trading. The the performance differential between the, and this is through Thursday, this doesn't include Friday's big up day, but through Thursday, the equally weighted uh, S&P 500 versus the market cap weighted S&P 500, there's a 2% performance differential in the first two and a half trading weeks. And that's, so what's happening is we're still seeing more money going into these into into you know a, sh- a smaller number of stocks. Well, the broadening out hasn't happened yet. It, it just it's not here yet. Now is it coming? Is it going to be part of the earnings news, which really begins in earnest in the in you know next week and the week after? You know we really start to get in as we say the meat and potatoes of earnings reports. Are there going to be surprises there? Are there going to be Numbers that are reported that are good, but not good enough. And some of these uh, Magnificent Seven might have a little bit of money come off the table, and maybe some of that money goes to the have-nots that have not necessarily participated in the market, uh, the, the kind of rise in, in, uh, in performance that those Magnificent Seven stocks did in 2023. Well, that's left to be seen. Um, but so far, there hasn't been a broadening out of performance to date. 
you know, we're, we're, we're right on the same pace as we were last year for those small number of stocks to be outperforming. I personally don't think it's going to last, and I think it probably starts to to change more in earnest once you start getting these earnings numbers and these companies put I, out I their expectations. We were talking about the Halliburton market market earlier. The lack of supply, okay. and you're having that conversation with the client about buying a house. Thirty-year tre- thirty-year mortgage, as I look at it on Friday, is about six point nine four. It's come down ten bips in the last week or so. But if we have a better housing market, in my mind, then you're going to see some of these other companies and the other stocks doing better. Obviously, your old school dividend-paying stocks, you know, your 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 construction stocks. But some of your manufacturing companies, I think, are going to do a little bit better. This is my take. You're going to see a broadening out of the market when rates start coming down. But- well, and, and, and that's and that's a, that's a, a good assessment because when you look at you know value stocks, I mean, the reason why large cap, mid cap, small cap value stocks really did not have a very good year last year is because the dividend income they were producing couldn't couldn't compete with the interest rates and the interest income you could get on the fixed income side. So as rates come down, yeah, that's right, exactly. So you look at a risk-free rate of return with zero risk, and you're getting a higher total income yield versus the dividend income you could get from a lot of these higher-yielding dividend stocks, and you have to worry about their price fluctuations a lot more because what's the point of getting a 10% dividend income if you have a 25 or 30% unrealized loss in the value of the stock? You're still net negative, so a 10% dividend means nothing. And so, Joe, as, as interest rates start coming down, on the fixed income side, then these value names start to get more attractive. They start to look more attractive. That dividend income starts to look more attractive. And I think you're right. We'll start to see some more broadening participation in the market because, you know, Jeff brought up the equally weighted S&P 500, which I was going to bring up. But, of course, we're brothers, so, you know, we're cut from a similar clause, so he already hit that point. But one thing I did want to mention, it's an article I read several weeks ago. And it's to Jeff's point that so far year-to-date, we're seeing the market cap-weighted S&P 500, again, outperforming. And what this, this, this article discussed is how the largest of the mega-cap companies, like the companies in the Magnificent Seven, they continue to collect the customers. They continue to collect the sales. They're really starting to, not starting to, but they're really boxing out a lot of their competition because they're such household names. And in, by, by driving all these customers, both B2B customers and consumers, it's also attracting the dollars from investors. And this, this research report kind of put to the, kind of put to test that this is a trend that they feel is going to just continue because these companies are just continuing to get bigger and bigger and more and more powerful and it squeezes out the competition. Now then that raises the question, is this something for the Federal Trade Commission to get involved? I know, <laughs> of course, I know the person that, that runs it, Lena Khan, uh, has not had a lot of success in court and her team of putting a stop to these companies, but that's something to keep in mind. This might not just be a short-term trend. This might be more of a long-term situation that we're just going to continue to be dealing with until, and I'm not saying the federal government should step in, but this is something that they have to be taking a long, hard look at the Federal Trade Commission at themselves in the mirror to say, 
these companies are collecting all the customers and they're collecting all investors' dollars, making them just that much more powerful. Let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, we're just continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street. You know, last segment was just talking about, again, how the market cap-weighted S&P 500 is outperforming the S&P 500 equally weighted, meaning that the big mega-cap Magnificent Seven stocks and some of the bigger market cap-weighted stocks are, here again, you know, two and a half, you know, really two and a half full trading weeks into 2024 are still collecting the attention of investors and drawing in investors' dollars. And I was bringing up the point of an article I read how these larger companies are just continuing to get larger. They're continuing to box out competition, not only for B2B business-to-business customers, but the consumer, but also gaining, continuing to gain the attention of investors from investment dollars, making them and their market capitalization so huge this past week. You know, Meta, who had gone through a pretty rough road for several years, is right on the precipice of cracking a trillion-dollar market capitalization once again. And, Joe, I know during the break you were, you were discussing and you brought up Meta that you wanted to just kind of a further point of these well, mega-cap companies. Well, well, Kyle's buddy Zuckerberg. Uh, <laughs> oh, please. And Meta is indicating – they're going to spend billions of dollars of it on NVIDIA AI chips, roughly 350,000 chips. So they're all doing business with, the, with each other also. I mean, Which makes them more and more powerful. <laughs> and so they kind of have their network. It's their network. You know, Meta's not going out to some unknown, you know, smaller, I don't want to say mom and pop, but let's just say a mid-cap or even a small-cap chip company. No, they're going to NVIDIA. Who is the behemoth, which, for full disclosure, we own and have for a long time. But they are going to NVIDIA, who is the mothership of AI chip production and and design. I was going to say that, too. Full disclosure, also, we do not own Meta. Um, I remember Meta Meta spending billions of dollars creating the Metaverse, (laughs) and it was a huge... Flop, and they laid off a ton of people when the when Wall Street said, uh, "Hey, you're spending a whole lot of money on this metaverse. What is it doing?" And maybe and, and their stock price was cratering, and they made a big pivot, and their stock price has recovered. Now the latest buzz is AI, artificial intelligence. So let me just throw out the little devil's advocate here. In order for you know AI, in my opinion, to 
to be successful, yeah, these companies can sell these chips that run this software that does these things, but the, the software and these services and whatever else they're doing with AI are being sold to companies, right? They're going in there and they're pitching them, oh, we can improve all these aspects of your business. You know, maybe you can lay off some, maybe you won't need as many employees. We can replace some of your employees or we, the, your AI will find cost savings. You know, they'll, 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 it'll just make your business even more efficient. What happens if these sales pitches don't pan out at these companies? What happens if they don't really change these companies' bottom lines? Because we, we know there's companies come there talking about, well, we're developing things for AI and this, that, and the other. And then all of a sudden, People, the investors here, oh, this company's getting into AI. They're doing something with AI. Well, we need to we need to put some money into these companies. What does this sound like? Doesn't this sound like nineteen nineties companies you're, you're, that put dot com next to their AI, name? AI Halo. They're gonna have some grand internet uh, plan. And well, I'm just saying, didn't we kind of hear something like this in the nineteen nineties? And yes, the internet's great. The Internet has revolutionized many aspects of our lives. But there are a lot of, for lack of a, there are a lot of zombie companies, too, that, that thought that they were going to be able to leverage the Internet and, and, and make themselves out to be more than what they really ever were. And then they failed. They flamed out, you know, uh, uh, quite dramatically. This whole AI thing, you know, money will flow into it. Okay, we've seen that. And, and valuations will go sky high, but at the end of the day, it's got to have some. It's the companies that are buying the end product to try to improve their business, however way they want to improve it using AI. If it doesn't improve it, if they're not seeing it flow through the bottom line, how how long will investors be happy that we're spending billions on Nvidia chips well, I, if it's I, not I, resulting in billions also, of new profits the for the part, company? They were all good quality companies and good, good quality stocks before we had this AI craze. The last That's few right. years. I mean, very good point. Well, yeah, but that was not. because of the metaphor. Zuckerberg read Meta too many science fiction books, and he finally realized he needs to not go down the path of a science fiction book he read when he was 14 and try to spend billions of dollars for a little pet project. <laughs> maybe he learned. Sorry, maybe he learned. Maybe he learned something from that mistake. And hey, I'm not going to knock him. He's, you know, he started this from his dorm in Harvard, and you know, he's one of the richest men in the world. You know, congratulations. But, but you know, that, that, is a, that is an interesting point, Jeff, that you're making. But the bottom line is, you know, the, the dot-com bubble and boom and bust was, you know, more than 20 years ago. And when you look at something like Moore's Law, where it talks about the doubling of just the speed of circuits and integration and technology and how it exponentially grows in speed and technicalities and just, you know, from a technical capacity – we're so much smarter today, 20 years ago, than when we were during dot-com. And remember, Jeff, I remember when you had the Internet way back in the day before you were Davidson Capital Management, your townhome in Garland, and you had Prodigy, and you had that dial-up modem. And I could hear, you know, the little dialing, the ringer dial-up for the Internet. Think about the Internet back then and what it is today. We're recording this show through a video teleconferencing, through a software I've got a computer hard drive that is literally smaller than a small book, 
and it's connected via Wi-Fi, not even, I mean, just think of what the technology and how it's transformed in just the last two decades. So I hear what you're saying with AI. We're just at the tip of the iceberg of its potential uses, but with the with the intelligence and just the speed and growth of the intelligence in the tech world, I, I, I have a very strong feelings that AI is not going to be the dot com bubble bursting back in you know two thousand. I just don't see that. I just don't see that happening. Well, I I can I can assure you there were a lot of people in the 1990s that said the exact same thing about a number of I, I didn't say that AI was just going to be a bust any more than I said that the internet uh, has been a bust. It's just that there are companies that are getting on the bandwagon where money is being attracted to them because they're somehow loosely associating themselves. I don't disagree with, with that point. AI and not. I just don't think I, I don't I don't think I don't think that AI is going to be as powerful a technology in our lives in the future well, as the internet. I mean I, I see your parallel I with the companies jumping on the bandwagon like anything with dot com at the end of it two guys in a garage become billionaires on paper I understand I see your parallel with that point uh, but we don't know. I mean, is it going to be as big as the internet? Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with you, Jeff. I don't think it's going to be, but I think it's productive use for companies to add money to their bottom line, saving on potential uh, human capital, and leaving it up to to AI, but also becoming more efficient when it comes to you know shipping companies, for instance, you know things of that nature. I think that not yet. Okay, it's not proven. It's it, we don't have enough. We don't have en- we don't have anywhere enough data to say whether it's made any appreciable difference or not. Is in, in well, relation I would say to the that amount of AI money is kind of like your old dial-up back when you were a prodigy, you know, subscriber way back in the day. That AI right now is kind of in the dial-up phase of where the internet yeah, was no. more than twenty years ago. Yeah, I heard- and so, yes, it is going to be a wait and see. And I understand your point of all these billions and billions of dollars being invested. But to Joe's point, all of these companies were solid earners and top-notch mega-cap companies, even with the misguided steps of the metaverse. You know, we don't invest in Facebook right now or, or Meta just because I don't – the whole political aspects of it, I just – I can't look past that from the uh, previous election and the interference, you know, so that's more of a um, political and personal call. And I think a lot of our clients would, would see would see that the same way. But there's a lot of other companies in that Magnificent Seven list that we own, and we've owned for a very long time and have made us and all of our clients a lot of money. And I think they're still going to continue to be leaders. But like any stock, there's great companies and there's great stocks, and sometimes they're not synonymous, and that's just the 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 investing effects of Wall Street in general. You can have a very sound, strong, fundamentally fundamentally sound company, and its stock is just in its winter season, and it's not gaining attention, it's not gaining attraction from other investors, and just sometimes that's how it works with investing. 
Well, with that, let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So, in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, you know, spending a lot of time. You're talking about the markets, talking about the big mega cap companies, spent a lot of the last segment, you know, just talking about AI and technology. You know, for, you know, so far this year, I felt like even though the S&P 500 hit an all-time high, closed at an all-time high on Friday, took almost 750 days to get back to that all-time high, it seems like the past, you know, two and a half trading weeks of 2024, and let me just get y'all's opinion. Does it feel like the market was trying to maybe work off some overbought conditions that we got into in that kind of tail end Santa Claus rally at the end of 2023? Because up until Friday, it seems that the market has just been trading in a range so far this year. Just kind of doing the two steps forward. Yeah, two steps forward, two market. steps back. The market cha-cha, as I call it. And that... I know that a lot of analysts were waiting to see that breakout. Now, the question is, we've broken out to an all-time high in the S&P 500. Can it continue with now the big question is, when is the Fed going to have its first rate cut? And now, how many are they going to actually have? Earnings? Well... To me, the the markets are going to be driven in the next few weeks now by earnings. Uh, you know, next week we have, in terms of economic statistics, we have the first reading of fourth quarter gross domestic product, durable goods, personal income and spending, and the and one of the Fed's personal income expenditure measures the personal consumption consumption, consumption expenditure PCE <laughs> PCE personal consumption pers- yeah personal yeah expenditures. Thank you. So. Uh, but I think that you know, we've got the earnings are going to be coming. We got we got to hear some earnings. We got to hear some outlooks. You know, we've had we had several companies this week talk up you know lay off employees. Uh, Macy's was one of them. Talked about store closings. Uh, there's companies coming out. Almost seem like on a daily basis they're announcing some you know cuts to. Mm-hmm. Their their employees. I've Google has been very quiet, but they've been they've actually had some layoffs here in January, and we're talking about some more. Uh, that's not getting a lot of airplay, and it's not getting a lot of airplay because what did we have to counter that? Well, we had an unexpectedly on I think it was on Thursday mm-hmm. an unexpectedly lower than uh, low 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 number on new unemployment claims. So. If you've got these strong economic news or stronger than expected economic news and you've got interest rates that have come up, I mean, the 10-year Treasury yield is up a little bit, you know, like, like two, three-tenths of a percent. Uh, we're basically where we're at the be- in December of last year. 
if that trend continues, the market's going to take notice. And it's also going to keep pushing out further and further these expectations of when the Fed's going to start cutting interest rates. Because right now, what motivation does the Fed have to cut rates? And I believe there is is the Fed meeting next week? Or the Fed is the Fed not meeting in the month of January? I, I'm sorry, I can't remember if they are or aren't. But there isn't anything out there that's necessarily motivating the Fed to do anything in terms of cutting interest rates right now. And 30th so and 31st, the Fed wild is meeting at the very end of this month. Start to get reined in, and we saw this. They're, yes, skipping, February. They're skipping February and then March 19th okay. through the 20th. Thank you. I thought it was this month, but it's at the end of the month. So. So there's zero chance of interest rate cuts beginning in January. None. Because there's no economic news to support it. And the Fed does not want to start cutting rates too early. They would rather get beat up in the future by yeah. saying that they were too they slow to start cutting them. Right? That's what that's what will that's invariably what happens. The Monday morning quarterbacks complained they were too slow to start raising them. Then they'll they'll be complaining that they were too low, too, too slow to start cutting them. So, and so the, the employment so picture continues to be very strong, strong, as it has been, or better than yep. expected. Uh, about the same, you know, about the same. Then there's then there's no motivation for the Fed to change course. The last inflation number was slightly hotter than expected, but the markets really had no reaction to it. Will the next one be the same? And they and then there'll be the talk about, oh, well, uh, the uh, reductions in inflation have reached a trough, and, well, we're not getting to that 2% mandate, so the Fed's just, the Fed's going to have to stay, going to have to stay put. They're probably not going to raise, but they're going to have to stay put. How does the market react to that? If they're expecting all these cuts, and that, that was priced in to that big rally that we had in December. And now a little bit of that's continued on into 2024. That gets rethought to me, and the market starts moving sideways. And if we get, we get, some, we get some negative news, like we get, we, we get a, a much hotter than expected inflation number, you know, what have we, none of us have said anything nor have the market seemed to really care about the geopolitical side. You know, we're still going over and bombing people in Yemen mm-hmm. practically on a daily basis, and they're sending missiles out into, on U.S. flagships. Some type of How long is it going to take until they actually conflict. hit one conflict, yeah. and kill some people? You know, we got Pakistan going over. We got Pakistan going over to Iran, going into Iran and and bombing stuff. We got Iran going into Pakistan, doing the same thing. You know that geopolitical is still out there, and it could at any time really you know show you show some the markets could really start to react to that. So far, they have not. So what what, what are we saying here? Yeah, that's exactly that's that was my point for bringing this up because I think even though we made an all time high in the S and P five hundred, from a from a news cycle standpoint, economic standpoint, we could be seeing the market moving sideways, doing that cha cha for quite a lengthy period of time in and around here until we get a clear picture. Either, like Jeff was saying, maybe some deterioration in the economic data, which might give 
a little bit more motivation for the Fed to, to start their interest rate cutting trend sooner? Or if it continues to be strong, it's just going to delay the Fed to be lowering interest rates, and then that would have to kind of slowly be priced into the market. And so that's kind of the point of this segment is for all of our home gamers, all of our listeners, to not get too far, far out over your skis from a stock allocation standpoint well, because, gotta, because right. there's going to be choppiness. If you're balanced and you're 60-40 but you actually own bonds and maybe you have money in a position-traded money market account, you're still getting paid to be patient. Remember that, especially if you're That's a moderate right. investor. So. We can get paid. You can get paid quite a handsome rate of return by being patient, by having that fixed income aspect in your portfolio. Well, with that, we're coming up at the top of the hour breaks. So we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com if you missed the first hour of money wise you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past money wise programs You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at DavidsonCap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, it's about time. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your politeness. Well, as we we like to use and utilize uh, the second hour of every weekend's Money Wise program, really going into investor education, and just, again, the continuing education that all investors need to be paying attention to because with the multitude of investment choices, the multitude of sales outlets, I should say, uh, to be buying different financial products, um, we feel it's our duty having a voice and having this radio show to, to continue to provide that, that education. And there is an article that we've had for some time. We've talked about it on past shows, but it's always good to to reiterate. And it's a conversation I know that I have with prospective clients when it comes to investing. Um, and the, the title of the article is The Best Investment Advice Ever. <laughs> now, there's so much different advice out there, different guidance, different forms and levels of education out there. Um you know, looking at this article, there's a very old saying that I know we have used from day one. And of course, with us, uh, you know, being in this, having Davidson Capital Management for more than 25 years, and 
and again, this radio show going on now in our 10th year, um, looking at, at rule number one for the best investment advice ever, and that first rule is never lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. And I believe that uh, that was one of Warren Buffett's famous advice. And, of course, Warren Buffett being one of the richest men in the world, um, I think uh, it's good It's good words to live by. And, and when I sit down with prospective clients, the one the one area, again, of education I like to focus on is teaching a prospective client that it's not as much how well you do on the upside when the market is going up. It's how shallow you keep your hole on the downside. It's it's whoever plays the best defense is what's really going to build long-term wealth and longevity of a portfolio. Rule This rule number one, don't you think it's kind of unrealistic to say never lose money? Well, and, and, and again, investors need to keep in mind there's a difference between realized losses and unrealized losses or paper losses. Uh, maybe rule number one should should read more like never put all your eggs in one basket. Never But put, but define never, that. Okay. Define that a little okay. bit more. Okay, eggs in one basket. Never put one hundred percent of your money in one asset class. How's that? Okay. Never put 100% of your money in stocks. Give us an asset class. Like, are Never. you talking sector specific, like all in real estate investment trusts or all in the material sector or all in technology? I think I think really the rule number one to me, and it kind of goes along the same lines as what you're talking about with keeping the hole shallow, is there's no, no such thing as never lose money. I mean, every investment – we have never had an investment decision that we've made – in the 25 years as Davidson Capital Management, every investment decision that we've made has not always made money. Some of those investment decisions have lost money. There isn't a single person on the planet that's made an investment decision that hasn't lost money at one time or the other. The the really successful people in investing never lose a lot of money. Now, keeping a that lot whole of money, shallow. keeping the whole shallow, as you were saying, and 2008 is is a great example of keeping the hole the, the hole as shallow as possible because we were never 100 percent invested in stocks that year, and we were also reducing stocks as that year went on, and so we 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 didn't suffer the 35 our clients' portfolios didn't suffer the 35 40. 50% losses that the investors that we saw come to us in 2009 and 2010, and we asked them, you know, how did you do in 2008? And they said, well, I lost 40% or I lost more than 40%. We knew right then and there that they had way too much money in stocks, if not their entire portfolio in stocks, and it wasn't being managed properly, obviously. That's, that's a key. It wasn't actively managed. It was, and again, that set it and forget it. Mentality that set and forget it portfolio. And so, the the rule number one, this never lose money, and rule number two, never forget rule number one, is all fine and good, but it's not realistic because if you're going to have a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds, cash, and all different types of asset classes, some of those asset classes aren't going to make money in a particular year. Some will. Uh, some will be more successful than others, but I think it's unrealistic to expect to never to lose money in, in investing. Because if you 
if rule number one, never lose money, that means you're never going to take risk. Which means you're going to be you're going to own CDs. Sorry to take your your thunder away there. You're going to own government bonds and hold them to maturity, or you're going to own CDs or cash, or you're going to have cash. Well, that I don't know too many investors that can reach their retirement goals uh, just by being in cash or government bonds. Well, and again, when you are invested and you're invested in the stock market, even the bond market. When you look at an unrealized gain and loss report, if you're showing some unrealized losses, those are paper losses. Those are losses that you have not taken. It's just on paper. It's just numbers. But that loss can be will become realized if you decide to sell out. And what happened to a lot of investors in 2008 is they watched the ride all the way down. And then they got to their maximum pain threshold, and what did they do? They sold. And for a lot of investors, after they did that sell and the selling they did, they have yet to get back in. That's why we continue to face the very thin market conditions, the whipsawing of the markets because there's fewer and fewer participants because they still have not gotten back in because they're still licking and and taking care of their wounds from 2008 because they sold out and turned those unrealized losses to realized losses. But if they had a proper allocation – and having their assets actively managed, they wouldn't have suffered as much pain and distress in their portfolio as we have seen doing our portfolio reviews and analysis of prospective clients. So, well, we're going to pause right there. We're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our investor education and talking about an article titled The Best Investment Advice Ever. And, you know, again, the old Warren Buffett saying, you know, rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. And us just kind of really discussing how that's kind of unrealistic. Uh, Because like Jeff, like you said in the last segment, you're going to run into some type of losses, be it unrealized or realized losses, at some point in time in your investing career, unless you're invested in cash, which isn't an investment, CDs, or government bonds. You know, you have to take a certain level of risk. You have to assume a certain level of risk to have the potential for capital appreciation and growth of your assets to meet your retirement goals or for whatever goals that you're saving for. And, Dad, I know that you wanted to, the big dog wanted to eat a little bit and had something to add to, to what, we were just talking about. Well, I think I originally said this to you when you guys came into the business. Oh, you've been that, saying this f- that, as that, long that, as that, I can remember. These were basic rules of investing. I, I honestly think this is a little bit of a Will Rogers comment. I, I'm not so sure that Warren Buffett didn't steal this from from, from Will Rogers. He never met a man he didn't like. And and and, and what th- this means, you know, this is you know this will be my 37th year starting my 38th year of being a portfolio manager, not counting the four years as a broker and one year in graduate school, so you can add all that up. But when I see this, what this really means to me is never lose big money. 
never take big losses because you can't come back from them, whether it's financially or even psychologically. Hold on. Let me stop you right there. You just hit an important point. Psychologically. It's the psychological part part of this. Um, A lot of people get in investing. They get in the game, as Jim Cramer calls it. It's not a game. But they get in the game, and they have some moderate success, and then they start building their bet. They start pushing pushing the chips and further and further. And as they build their bet, they will get to the point where they lose. Now, to be successful, the one thing that I have learned in my 37-plus years, to be successful in investing, you have to invest on a regular basis. You just can't do it once in a while. And, if, and you need to take a number of positions because as you take positions, your batting average gets better. And to be successful, it isn't participating when the markets go up, as you said. It's not losing as much going down. So I believe my personal success as an investor has come with my ability to sell. I think I'm a lot better seller than I am a buyer. And and, and one thing that we say in this office, and this was definitely true in 2008, and of course, you know, this was prior to me joining the family's firm back. Jeff, I know you were here back during the dot-com bubble burst, bursting of the, of the dot-coms, um, is that when, cert- when the markets and times just don't make sense, when what's up is down and what's down is up, when there's times where the market doesn't make sense, it never hurts to get more liquid and lay in the weeds. I know that's an old saying, Dad, that I've heard come out of your mouth for years, way before I even joined the family business, that... It's okay sometimes to raise liquidity and lay in the weeds until things get a little clearer. Now, it's important for all investors to understand you're never going to have 100% clarity. The waters are never going to be 100% clear. There's always going to be some level of cloudiness, but in situations like the dot-coms, like 2008, uh, even like how you know how the markets have, have started off in the past couple of years, um, things get a little clouded and get a little bit more whipsawish. And sometimes it's better to just kind of raise some cash and lay back until things start to pan out and make a little bit more sense because that's what we've been dealing with is some just counterintuitiveness that we've been experiencing in the market for the past couple of years. You know, and this led me to what we were talking about earlier, rule number one, never lose money, never forget rule number one, this is rule number two. Well, if we were in an environment where government bonds was paying 9%, then a lot of people would be attracted to that. And and there and there's been times in my career when you could do that. And so there's a riskless return that would be that would be historically a good return. Unfortunately, that was occurring when inflation was at twelve, thirteen, fourteen. <laughs> so you were losing, losing to just inflation. like today. Mm-hmm. Just like today if you put too much in bonds versus what each individual person's inflation rate is. But What this really says is what y'all were talking about, is that if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket, if you're going to step out there and take that level of risk, then you are potentially putting yourself in a position to lose a substantial amount of your money and not have enough money to get back into the game, whatever game it is you're playing. So, but, but again, but again, we don't look at the market as no, a game. No, it's not a game. It's not a game at all. But if you are, if you're a trader, I would say a trader views the market somewhat as a game. I'd agree. If you're an investor, 
it's a serious game. And so each individual has to decide what type of, is he a trader? Am I an investor? Or is this trading money? Is this investing money? So you, there's various pools that you could be doing. But one thing that you cannot do is you cannot sustain large losses and be a successful investor or trader. So whatever methods you use to reduce your losses, your risk, your risk, you're going to have to take that. And if you don't determine a system that allows you to do that, you are not going to be successful. In the long term, absolutely. And, and, and see, that's the thing, Dad, is I think for some investors, maybe the traders that view the market as more of a game, more of action, more Vegas style, they have a couple of big wins where they knock it out of the park and that boosts their confidence, that helps them boost their, their maybe their trading and investing ego psychologically. That's when they start pushing over pushing the chips further and further over the line and bigger amounts of chips, then they strike out. Then they take that loss and then their the psychological aspect of it might be a loss so bad that they say to heck with the stock market, I'm never getting involved in it again. And what we've always advocated and always tried to teach is about a proper balance, about diversification. As Jeff said, not putting all your eggs in one basket, spreading out that risk, or to use a technical term, spreading out your beta. But you can't just spread it out and forget it. You have to continue to actively manage it, actively monitor it. And if you don't, then you need to work with a firm that's going to do that. I learned many years ago that I was not a successful trader. Trading was not something that I was good at. I was good at looking at a longer picture. It fit my personality better to be an investor, plus by taking a longer-term view, thinking in terms in the stock market of actually owning the company that I was buying I found that that was more successful. And I learned that as a broker. I, I, I felt comfortable with that. What I didn't feel comfortable with was potential clients or new clients that had to have action. Because I don't necessarily think Wall Street is the best place to get action. I think you would be better off to go to Vegas because it doesn't require that much thinking if you need action. If you like to bet on football games. with If you need that fix. If you need that. And there are people that need that. But it, Wall Street can be a very dangerous place for people that need that type of fix. I have not run into that many successful people who have traded the market. I've run into many successful investors, very few successful traders. Well, and I think some some other points you made just a few minutes ago when we talk about risk capacity, about taking a big hit to your portfolio, and again, for continuing investor education, the older you get, the closer you get to your retirement, I guess, date and time as far as your age, your risk capacity gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, you know, and I've run into people who have have very large risk, you know, very small risk tolerance, their personal aversion to risk, but they have huge risk capacity. And when you run into that situation, it's really they have their money invested very lazily. It's, it's very lazy money. It's very 4 and 5% returns when they should be taking advantage of their age. So the younger you are, the greater risk capacity you have. And so you have to really marry risk tolerance and risk capacity into one. 
Um, and that's, again, something else that we that we try to teach. So just understand, as you get older, your risk capacity gets smaller, and you have to have your portfolio managed and allocated in a way that reflects that risk capacity. What you see on CNBC, and we don't spend that much time watching any of the other channels, but what we see on CNBC is a parade of traders, mm. parade of people looking for action, daily action, weekly action. Fast money. Fast money. You know, everything is geared towards trading. trading. Mm-hmm. That is that segment of the market. That is not a segment that Davidson Capital Management has ever participated in or would feel comfortable being in. And so when we sit here and we talk about what we see, we don't necessarily feel that that type of program serves the public to the extent it could. That's right. Well, with that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. So we'll take the break. When we come back, we'll be continuing our investor education, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to cover here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing talking about the best investment advice ever article that comes from Market Watch and the Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, Dad, I, as you were talking in the last segment, you know, you mentioned Jim Cramer's name, and I know there's a segment on his show that he loves to do where people call in and say, am I diversified, and they give him five stock names. And he'll either anoint it as being you're diversified or you're not diversified. And when I watch that, I, to me, it seems like it's a disservice to the investing public because what he is basically um, validating is that it's okay to put 20% of your money in one particular stock position, to hold five individual stocks, and as long as those five individual stocks are in five different industry sectors, then you're okay, you're safe. And I think that is some of the most dangerous advice you could possibly give with with his type of background and acumen as a money manager, or as a hedge fund manager, I should say. Well, I I, I don't agree with it dangerous uh it's dangerous if you don't watch your eggs real close if you only got five uh, <laughs> you're making I mean, you're making big bets in, in on the, five in the, companies. in the beginning in the beginning when i created uh the philosophy uh it became apparent to me that i didn't ever want more than five percent in anything because i learned very quickly that if i bought Five percent of your assets in one individual well, position. Yes, if I bought ten positions, three point five of them were going to be losers. But I loved all ten, mm-hmm. and so when I got it out to twenty, then I'm going to have six losers in normal markets. Mm-hmm. And the key was having the six losers not be big enough losers to overset the profits that were in the other fourteen. Well, if I'm Jim Cramer. And five, it's my diversification. I sure hope it's not my six losers because then my every five 
those whole five positions would be losers. So to me, that was not enough positions to be diversified. That was very concentrated. And to be that concentrated, I don't want you to think you're diversified. You are not diversified with five positions. I mean, you might you are, be you might be diversified in the sense that you're in five different industry sectors, but you're making a very large bet on one company in that and, industrial sector. And I'll tell sector. you something else. If you limit yourself to that few of positions, you're either going to do extremely well versus the market or you're going to do extremely badly. You're, you're not going to crash do average. You're either going to do real well or real bad. So it's either a home run or a strikeout. Now, you can't build a business on real bad. Mm-mm. Now, he was successful as a hedge fund manager because he was a trader. He was not an investor. Long term to him could have been one day. So when you hear him discuss that, I mean, he can't do a show and do Am I Diversified and have someone giving 20 positions. So some of his Am I Diversified is for TV. For, well, it's for TV. He did it first on his radio show. Mm-hmm. That's where it started. He did that on the radio show. Now, he used to do radio and TV, and his radio show was really a whole lot better than the TV show. He didn't do all that screaming and jumping around like he does, and he would just talk, which I found better for investors to listen to. He was more investor-oriented as opposed to trading. So us saying that we believe you ought to have 20 positions gets back to this fact that we don't want more than 5% of any person's assets in one position. And we say that even in your company stock. If you're investing in your company stock, the stock where you work. Three or 401k. Yeah, we don't want more than 5% of your retirement money in the company stock. And I don't care how great the stock is. Because I happen to have seen times in my life where I worked for companies where people put a lot much, lot more in that, and then the companies went out of business. They not only lost their job, but they lost their retirement. And I, I can tell you that Jeff and I see this doing portfolio, doing portfolio reviews a lot with the petroleum industry employees, putting a lot of their retirement nest egg through 401ks in their company stock. And it's great to be supportive and it's great to love where you work and love who your employer is but you also have to kind of be a little selfish and think about your own retirement needs and your own retirement nest egg and not take too big of a bet because again harkens back to Enron it harkens back to WorldCom I mean it harkens back to those employees years ago who lost their nest egg because there was a lot of cheerleading from upper level management to buy keep keep funneling as much money in it as possible not saying that any companies in existence today are you know doing some of the fraudulent things that that these companies were doing but you always have to look out for kind of number one i mean you have to look out for number one when you're saving for retirement and you know another thing that i like to teach particularly when it comes to long-term investing and when it comes to performance i always like to use the analogy is you have to look at your investment returns like a batting average like a batting average for a baseball player. You know, let's use Ted Williams or let's use Tony Gwynn. Uh, you know, rest, may he rest in peace. Let's use him as an example. You know, baseball players can get into the Hall of Fame with having a great lifetime batting average, but throughout their career, throughout the lifetime of them stepping up to the plate, they're going to have years where they underperform, where they don't have a good year at the uh, up at the plate and they don't bat very well 
and they have low numbers. And then they're going to have other years where they have some average years. And then they're going to have some great years where they're knocking the cover off the ball. But what determines whether or not a baseball player gets into the Hall of Fame is their lifetime batting average, and it's a combination of all of those years and how they've performed. It's the same thought process and the same thought pattern you need to have when it comes to investing. You're going to have some below average years. You're going to have some just average years, and you're going to have some great years. But the key is is to have more great years than bad and average years to get your portfolio to the Hall of Fame. Well, here's a little commercial coming in here. 25, this is our 26th year, and I was talking about I'm starting my 38th year as a manager. There was 12 years in there before Davidson Capital Management was formed in which I developed our philosophy. And I developed it managing money under three or four different corporate situations where I learned what was working and what wasn't working. And, you know, I learned on other people's money, so to speak. But I learned through those years that 100% equity made no sense. 100% bond made no sense. But the two could work together in combination. But what I found was there wasn't, there were fixed income people and there were stock people. There wasn't both. You didn't see the hybrid. You didn't see the manager that could do both sides. And so as I, as I developed our philosophy, I learned that it made more sense to be 10 years and under. It made more sense to stick with quality because by sticking with quality, you took risk out. By having stocks and bonds, you took risk out. And by doing that, you raised your batting average. You made the hole shallower when you were losing in stocks you were making in bonds. And so in the beginning, oh, yeah, everyone knows the most money you can make is to be 100% in the stock market. And it works really good until 1987 rolls around and it goes down 25% in one day. That doesn't work very well. That wipes out a number of years in about four hours. And you learn, hey, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And same thing in the late 90s. Oh, yeah, it was wonderful when the dot-coms were going crazy, but it didn't look real good late in 2000, 2001, and two. And, you know, staying the course was really great in January, February, March of 2008. It wasn't very great in November, December 2008. Or, or because January, February. there might not be a course to <laughs> stay. Nine. You might not have had enough course to, to, to have a meal. Well, and, and again, that goes back to what we talked about a few segments ago about the psychological damage. And I know that we've talked on past shows here on Money Wise where we've talked about the psychological effects when you take these kind of losses and how, again, it, it creates that emotion and that fear. And when fear and emotion start combining into your portfolio, it keeps you sitting on the sidelines or it keeps you less invested in stocks to to really try to achieve and reach your goal for whatever you're saving for, and we're still seeing that today. I mean, again, we're seeing it today because we see the volatility. If there's more participants, more investors in this market, more mom-and-pop investors, we wouldn't see this extreme levels of volatility that we've been seeing. If we taxed day trading, we wouldn't have this extreme volatility. Or if having. we taxed high-frequency trading or got high-frequency well, trading under control. That's that's what I'm saying. That would take care of that problem. The problem is is that high-frequency trading is paying the note 
for the New York Stock Exchange. That's how they're making their money. They are never going to go against that. For something to change in that market, it's going to have to come from outside. It's not going to come from within Wall Street. Well, really what we have to have, Dad, is we have to have a nonprofit exchange. We have to well, have yeah. a nonprofit. You exchange. guys will see that. I'm, I'm you think Jeff and I will see. I a really think you. Will, I really think you in will our career see that in your lifetime, you will see a national market. I mean, because that will take away the incentive for the high frequency yes. trading. I, I, and it'll be I welcome. It'll be somewhere in the central part of the country, away from Wall Street. I, I welcome that day. I welcome the day to where we see a nonprofit exchange and maybe just a one central exchange. Let me correct it. Jeff may not see it. I think you will see it, Kyle. <laughs> well, we're not that far away in age, so uh, it's only about 10, less than 10, 10 years. years in there. All right, well, let's take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So going back to this article, there was a couple of other statements, and these actually come from Ben Franklin, and and one of them is, an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. And again, one of the reasons why we started this radio show back in late 2005 was because it gave us a podium, it gave us a platform to provide education because there's just uh, there's such a lack of education out there and it seems like a lot of the education that is available has a particular bent you know it's trying to push you in a certain direction as an investor to buy an investment product that's being sold by the uh financial legacy distribution system you know as we like to call it it always seems that education is kind of pushing you one direction or another and we're trying to provide unbiased education and as we always say to all investors is that, you know, there are so many tools available online for you to educate yourself. You know, when a, a pitch sounds too good to be true, it, it most likely is. And there's a lot of vehicles out there to help you to educate yourself. And so as Benjamin Franklin says, an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. You really have to you have to really let that kind of soak into you. And utilize the tools available. You know, if you want to look up the broker that you're working with, go to brokercheck.com. You know, someone's pitching you an investment product. Before you sign on the line and which is dotted, look it up. Do some research. Educate yourself. You know, as we say, if you can't explain it to a 5-year-old or a 10-year-old in two or three minutes and get them to understand it, then you're probably it's not a good idea to buy. Um Another statement is beware of expenses. A small leak will sink a great ship. And, boy, how many times have we seen that, Jeff? You know, expenses is one thing that is easiest to control if you understand that you're getting charged more more fees than than you think you are to begin with. And I see this a lot with – we see this a lot with annuities – uh, 
annuities, I think, are probably one of the biggest drains. challenges. I would say drains on, know, on the, assets. The biggest challenges to a portfolio being successful is is owning an annuity inside that portfolio because you're you're basically guaranteeing that you will never even equal a market average performance because the fees and expenses built into the 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 annuity itself even if it has the best possible investment options and trust me the average annuity does not have the best the best uh investment choices possible when you add up average investment choices with high expenses you're guaranteed to be below average consistently year after year after year after year and they're still sold they're they're still successfully selling them to investors every single day and we've in the 10 years that we've done this show we've almost made this our personal uh, mission, mission. There you go. <laughs> it's a personal mission. To, to, crusade. To, yeah, I like that. To steer crusade. people away from these types of investments. Now, there's also many other violators. You know, aver- uh, uh, the the average loaded mutual fund carries uh, an initial sales charge that's equal to multiple years of professional full time investment management just to buy into the mutual fund itself they you know a minimum you know anywhere from two to three percent to as almost as much as six percent uh is very common in an upfront sales charge another thing is buying stocks you know just buying stocks through a full service broker and you're you're the average ticket price that i see from an from a full service broker is about two percent of the gross purchase and that is outrageous so you know, for five thousand dollar purchase, you're paying two hundred and fifty dollars in transaction costs. I mean, that's 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 a that's twenty uh, times egregious. more. That's twenty times more you'd pay at a at a, at a discount brokerage firm. Yes, well, you better well, be getting good advice if well, you're paying that kind of fee. Well, well, now, if that broker is giving you good advice and covers the two percent, that's one thing. But you and I both know. Unfortunately, the vast majority of them do not. Well, the one thing, again, talking about fees and, and what I, I like to, to do for any individual investor out there is to understand the two big types of fees. You have your hard dollar fees and your soft dollar fees. Your hard dollar fees are your upfront commissions. You know, Those are the commissions that you see when you buy that mutual fund or you buy that stock and you pay that commission and you see it come right off the, right off the top. You see that difference in what you're investing and what you actually paid and what was actually invested. That's a hard dollar cost. But where annuities, where non-traded real estate investment trusts, uh, where even mutual funds, once you get past that initial sales fee, really get their investors or get their clients is on the soft dollar side. Those are the fees that are accrued daily and taken out daily that you never see. When you get your statement from your from your annuity, that's net of those soft dollar fees. When you get a statement about your stocks or your individual mutual funds, it's net of those soft dollar fees. Those are the fees that you don't see. Those are the fees that you also need to be asking about. 
And if you're sitting down and someone's pitching you an annuity and you ask them, well, what are the soft dollar charges, they're not going to know what to do. They're not going to know what to do, and they're going to start trying to provide you with the half-truths of what you're actually well, they're, spending. Well, they're going to focus on these guaranteed returns. The G word. Yeah, the, yeah they're going to focus on the G word. Which, again, is not a guarantee. It's just a promise, and it's only as good as the company providing the promise. They're going to say, don't you want 5% a year guaranteed income for the rest of your life? Don't you want that, Mr. or Mrs. Customer? And it's not quite that simple. Nope. And what they're talking about is the published interest rate, which changes monthly. It's just that hook to get you to sign on that line, and which is dotted to get you into that long surrender charge penalty period so they can lock your assets up. So you have to understand the difference between hard dollar costs and soft dollar costs. And soft dollar costs are in the prospectus. Soft dollar costs are in the information, but you have to know what you're looking for, and you have to dig deeper, as we've always said from day one on this program. And to really summarize this hour is you have to dig deeper and use the tools available to educate yourself before you make that investment Number one, be diversified. Number two, know what you own. Do the research. Dig deeper, as you say. And number three, always have a mind on what it's costing. That's right. Okay, and with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.